Osiris. Hi, this is Lucas Nelson with Promise of the Real, and the podcast you're listening to is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Sign up for the newsletter at OsirisPod.com to stay in the loop. So it's August 9th or 10th. Remember, we didn't have the Twitter machine back in 1995. Um, but do you remember where you were when you found out that Jerry Garcia had died? Uh, I, I do. I do definitely remember where I was. It is not a exciting. It's not an exciting story. I was, I was home. I guess it was the summer after my freshman year in college. Uh, and I guess I had not headed back up to school yet. Cause I can remember being in my childhood bedroom and I got a phone call, you know, on my landline because we didn't have cell phones back then kids. And, um, from a girl that I knew like that I'd hung out with some that freshman year. Uh, and she told me and she was all broken up and I can remember being sad. I was definitely sad, but like also kind of figured that it it wasn't surprising, right? I mean, I doubt anybody was really surprised, but um, yeah, and that was that was pretty much it. I mean, I didn't, I never got to see Jerry live. I think I would have probably, if they had lasted another year, I would have probably seen him in '96. I think because that was when I started really seeing shows a lot. Um, I mean, I certainly knew about the dead. I had friends who went and saw him and stuff, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. So you're me. so you're not one of those guys that could have had tickets for seven nine ninety five in Chicago and didn't take them and missed the last show, right? No, and I mean, I think and there's like one point five million people uh, that <laughs> right, and I think I went to college with most of them actually. Yeah, no, and I mean that's why I said because the next summer I stayed in Kentucky, and that's when I you know we went and saw. The Allen Brothers, we saw Fish, we saw Panic a bunch, obviously. Mm. Um, I think if De- if the Dead were touring that summer, we certainly would have made it. I mean, that was one of the things about uh, growing up down in New Orleans. You're sort of on an island down there, and, and you get good shows, people going to New Orleans, but you rarely, you don't get as many, like, well, you certainly don't get summer no. outside shed type <laughs> shows. God, no. <laughs> and um so you just don't get that kind of regular you know uh drumbeat of of touring acts like you mm-hmm. would necessarily in the midwest or you know other places in the south sure what about you jeff do you remember where you were on august 9th 1995 so, so 20 25 years ago i do actually and i was probably sitting at the time that jerry had passed I probably was sitting on Nicole Schutz's uh, front porch getting dumped by Nicole Schutz, actually. Oh, oh. Yes. Is, is, she, uh, is she listening to the podcast? No, doubtful. Okay. Very doubtful. Okay. Right. Um, okay. She turned out to be quite a badass, though. She flew helicopters in the Wisconsin National Guard, so... You know, and so did her sister. Um, Anyway, um, yeah, so at the time of Jerry's passing, I probably was getting dumped. 
and then uh first real girlfriend summer summer love you know you know how it is harvey you know how it is oh i do know yeah so this is what are you you, this is going into my senior year of high school oh god i didn't realize you were so young okay yeah and so um she didn't live too far from me she lived right across from the middle school in wanakee my hometown and so i was able to walk walked home and got home and sitting on the kitchen table was a package uh in a padded manila envelope mm-hmm. and inside that package were my very first almond brothers bootlegs Ooh, that Yes, actually, no, okay. probably some two S's. Whoa, be- wow, because, starting out big time. Because I had done a B&P uh, in the back of the Allman Brothers fan club magazine, hitting the, hitting the note. Hitting the note, yeah. There were uh, classifieds, and there were people there that said that if you uh, sent them a letter or sent them a note, they would send you their list, and then if you sent them tapes, they would put music onto cassette tape for you. For all of, this, all of this communication was happening through the U.S. Postal Service, right? <laughs> the evil, evil Postal Service that's going to destroy you democracy. Would, you would um, send a letter to them, and then they would mail you a printed list of their a, tapes. It's amazing, and it moved quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, having just been dumped and be and opening up this package. Uh, of a plethora of Allman Brothers tapes, I put uh, May second, nineteen seventy, into my dad's cassette deck, and lied on the floor and listened to my first Allman Brothers tape, which uh, is a great show from Swarthmore College in Philadelphia. And of course, being crestfallen, I had to uh, dive into the parents' uh, liquor cabinet to ease my woes. The mm-hmm. next day. August 10th, 1995, I went to work at Culver's. Harvey, do you have a Culver's in Lexington? We do have Culver's. People, uh, there's some really hardcore Culver's fans. So I I worked at the fifth ever Culver's in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And uh, went to Culver's and was cleaning tables in the dining room. And my friend Josh, Josh maybe came up to me and said, hey, did you hear Jerry Garcia died? And so I will say that I was you know, was a fan, I'm doing air quotes, a fan of the Grateful Dead um, in summer 1995. I believe that I at least had skeletons from the closet on CD at that point. And (laughs) maybe, maybe one other CD. I don't think I had Live Dead yet, although I might, I might have. I didn't have any of the dicks picks at that point. But I did, I did have two Grateful Dead tie-dyes. I had a purple batik tie-dye with the lightning bolt walker guy uh-huh. on it. And then I had a purple, purple pink sort-ish tie-dye with dancing bears wearing like space helmets that I wore for my senior picture. Oh, you're so heady. Right. Um, and so, so, so yeah, just to get a little bit of uh, just get a little bit of a time, uh, you know. Just put it in place here a little bit. I think there had only been maybe one or two Dick's Picks by that time. Yeah, 12, 1973 um, was the first one. Yeah, uh, and I think and then, maybe uh, the, the Halloween 71 yeah. show or 70 show was maybe... 71, and then, yeah. So I and, think, but it was right around all of that where I subscribed to Hitting the Note, which I'd already had, subscribed to the Grateful Dead newsletter, which I think I might have already had, which then 
that was like, oh, Dick's Picks, and then started ordering those. And then like, I think for basically every major holiday for the next four or five years, I got Dick's Picks like as a present. Um, so I think I probably had, I was definitely a bigger fan than you at that point. I think I had at least like four or five cassette tape bootlegs of the dead by then. I guarantee that one is Cornell 77. Of course. And then, of course. Um, I don't know which others, you know, probably some early 60s show and they all sounded like garbage. Well, yeah. no, the Cornell sounds good no matter what. Tenth yeah. generation Cornell still sounds good. Yes. Absolutely. But, uh, anyway, yeah, sorry. Um, no, that's okay. So it's just really weird to think about. It's been 25 years since Jerry passed and 25 years to, from all of the things that I just said, which in, in, like that period, those two days were all like, you know, there are major moments in your life, obviously, when you're a teenager, when your girlfriend dumps you and it's your mm -hmm. first like real job. And then obviously, but like the Allman Brothers tapes thing is obviously the thing that matters the most out of that, because <laughs> that's the whole fucking reason why I'm talking to you right now, basically. Um, but, you know, I was the guy i was you know you know me and everybody that who listens that might know me i'm a pretty straight laced looking dude but i wore you know i wore grateful dead tie-dyes i wore almond brothers tie-dyes with mushrooms on them thinking mm -hmm. i was super subversive you know mm -hmm. senior mm -hmm. high school so when i went to college i had like i think three almond brothers shirts and i had four dead shirts i had the two i just talked about and then i had two garcia shirts i had like the oh, uh, wow. the al hirschfield like uh caricature one yeah. Yeah. And then I had the Garcia one where it's like his handprint missing the middle finger. Iconic. Iconic, right? Jesus. Uh -huh. I can't believe I got, I wore that, those shirts. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, look at us now. There, how many do you think like upperclassmen saw you and were just like, what a custy? Like, well, what I a dude. So I would have been an upperclassman then. So, no, I'm talking in college. Like, if you oh, showed up as a freshman with those no. t-shirts in 1997 or whatever. It was. 96. So, yeah. first day I moved into the dorm room, um, I walked. You know, you go in and your parents help you, and then you say goodbye and blah blah blah, and it's like, holy shit, I'm by myself in my dorm room and so on. And like, I poked my head out the door and I heard Fillmore East down the hall. Oh. And walked down the hall, and it's this guy, Jesse Gamble, who I ended up going to a ton of panic shows with, and yeah. his roommate, Ross Benbow, and list, putting their room together and then listening to Fillmore East. And it was like, hey, you guys like the Almond Brothers? It's like, yeah, man. It's like, I got these tapes. Yeah, I got all these dead tapes. So Jesse had all the dead tapes. I had all the Almond Brothers tapes, and thus we became friends. And then nice. that, that's who I went to my very first panic show with, too. So um, brought it full circle. Brought it full circle. So it's been 25 years and I will say that my dead fandom, Jerry fandom began right at the end of Jerry's life, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, I had known what it, I knew what had happened at Deer Creek in summer 95. And then obviously when I went to, especially when I went to college, um, I, there were, you know, there were a handful of kids that I went to school with that had gone to those last shows. And then there was then again, like the one and a half million people that I could have had tickets for that show and then didn't go. Um, but it very much was like, I think I benefited greatly from the dead not being in existence when I started listening to them because right. there was no reason to listen to anything contemporary. No. And even if, and again, 
if if the dead had stuck if, if Jerry had survived and gone into 96 I'm pretty sure I would have been with you and be like I got to go see a show or I would have been horrifically disappointed <laughs> yeah I mean yeah, I think I, the moment would have been would have taken me but I mean I never listened to any I mean the first dead tapes I had like you were probably 5877 827 probably some Fillmore East Fillmore West shows um and you just kind of fill in the gaps and it's like I didn't even consider listening to the 90s until I met Jesse and Ross and then a bunch of other hippie kids that had, you know, sixth gen bootlegs on uh, um, C90s or whatever. Um, So it it just that so that was really interesting. So I guess like how I came about appreciating Jerry and listening to Jerry, it was like he always was sort of like this mythical distant figure to me, sort Mm -hmm. of like Dwayne Allman was. but and so I was able to kind of do, do it, it at my own pace. And you think that was for the best? Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure there. And you know, I think we've had this conversation about. I mean, we wouldn't trade anything for our experience with Panic and following up on Mikey. You know, following band when Mikey was run. Obviously, Mikey died on August 10th. So you know, two, <laughs> two, two greats uh, passing away on back to back days, and we have anniversaries coming up. Um, but I think it made it a little easier to sort of go at, go at my own pace and be a little bit more discerning. And I think honestly appreciate Jerry for what he was, uh, which is an amazing guitar player and just an amazing musician. And I mean, there are live, I mean, live dead, working man's dead, American beauty, Europe 72. Like, I mean, I, I'll throw in, I mean, I really love Oxo Oxoa, but those four records yeah. are like, I mean, they're, they're like all time canon for me. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously it was, you know, finding out all the other things that he did, but then just becoming, you know, diving, so finding, learning about Olden in the way and mm-hmm. listening to that band and like, oh my God, this guy could play anything. Yeah. Like it's um, pedal steel work on yeah. know, your children and yeah, you know, all with the new riders. And, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, so I, it, it's a little, it was always a little bit easier for me to have him be like this mythical distant figure than it was to be something that I appreciated con- in, in a contemporary fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I mean, I would love to talk to somebody who never saw Mikey play and might have a similar opinion about Mikey. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't regret not seeing the dead. Um, not at all. Like there's nothing I've, nothing I've ever, I mean, I guess I would have liked to have seen, you know, maybe had the experience, but I think I would have just been uncomfortable and gotten mad. Like I was at every, <laughs> like at every fish show I ever went to. So. Uh, that's likely. I mean, I, from the folks that I've talked to who, who saw the dead in the later years, uh, I think most people talked about, they're always, they're, they're often being, you know, a moment where Jerry, sort of like lit up and yeah. whether it was a song or a, you know a solo or whatever mm-hmm. um and that that sort of made the whole thing worth it you know all the other nonsense and um i think there's you know there I mean, there's certainly good shows as late as 93 i think there are people that that holds some shows in 94 as you know still uh worth listening to um and so i think it would have been fun to at least have seen some of that i also wish that i could have seen some garcia band um mm-hmm. i think that might have even been more cool especially later i feel like that stuff was a little more his speed and i think he was probably having more fun playing that than he was going out with the dead but um i mean yeah that, one of the things that i mean again we listen to a lot of dead in school but like we listened to that shady grove record like oh, yeah. obsessively yeah <laughs> i mean so that's good 
<laughs> so yeah, yeah I, mean, I totally, so then, totally appreciated the bluegrass and the and the folk music, and then um, Jerry Band. I guess I I've never really listened to a ton of Jerry Band, but the stuff that again like always got played, it wasn't it was a little too cheesy for me. I think, mm-hmm. but I think um, I've grown to appreciate it a little bit more, especially the early the early stuff with Merle Saunders, mm-hmm. um, and uh, more so than the later stuff. Well, and I, mean, I think the cool thing about, especially, I don't know, I, just, I feel like he uh, opened so many um, avenues for the folks like us, you know, to discover things like you're talking about, whether it's going down the rabbit hole with David Grisman and all mm-hmm. the things that he did after, you know, after 1995 or seeing Merle Saunders play or, um, you know, whoever it, it were in his orbit um, and having that recognition of, of folks that are sort of carrying the flame uh, for him. And, and it's interesting now. I mean, I feel like there's so many um, great, I mean, I don't know, tribute, I guess, tribute bands or, you know, cover bands or whatever bands that are playing that, um, that library music. Right. And it, it felt like for a long time, it was just, it was like, um, you couldn't talk about it. You know, like it was, it's, I mean, I felt like I remember there was like a Hornsby show in like April of 96. And it was like the first time that, that Bob or Phil had played a dead song after Jerry died. And then it wasn't until 98 when they did the other ones. So it was like three years before. 98 was the other ones. Yeah. Cause they, yeah. they did further in 96 and 97, but the, the first time they all played together was 98. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it just seemed like it was just this sort of, you know, thing that nobody got too close to. And then. Um, even, you know, when you would see them, uh, I guess Phil and friends started embracing a little bit more, but like, you know, I mean, rat dog, I felt like was never, they weren't playing a bunch of Jerry songs or, you know, um, and then, uh, so it was almost like took some distance for everybody to, to be ready to sort of step back into that, uh, into that realm. And it's cool that all that stuff is out now that people are, you know, willing to, to play there because they're great songs. You know what I mean? There's no reason for them to just sit on the shelf and, uh. So, uh, what was your first then, like, did you see the other ones or what was your yeah, first I saw, exposure? To I saw that 98 tour at Alpine. Okay. okay. Um, I went 97 too with Rat Dog and the Crows, mm-hmm. which was like Chris Robinson at the height of his, his Chris Robinson-ness, Chris Robinson-ness wearing a black and white tie-dye shirt with an eight ball on it. Nice. Like, geez, Chris, what are you into? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, 98 definitely saw the other ones. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, so 90, was 96 was... was rat dog and Los Lobos, I think was like, mm-hmm. were like the headliners. Um, and, uh, that 98, I thought that lineup was really strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had, uh, so you had the drummers, right. And you had Phil and Bob and mm-hmm. Hornsby and Kimok, Mark and Kimok and Mark Coran. And, yeah. um, Kimok was in that band, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Kimok yeah. and Koran. We were both playing yeah. guitar. Uh, and yeah, I saw that show. I saw them in Columbus, I think. And it was Yorma uh, uh, came out and played with them for a yeah. song or two, I and think. It was, uh, it was so good stuff. I think it was, I think the, what has heard of happened, and I will say this has happened recently, um, where I, you know, not so much this year. Um, partially because I hadn't been sitting, I wasn't in my office for three months. Um, but in the last year, for sure, 
2018, 2019. And I talked about it on, on here. I think I just, I listened to so much, so much dead and so many shows like a show a day. Um, and just started finding all of these, like, you know, finding different things that I was very partitioned off in what I listened to. I put limits to it. Cause again, there's so much of it as well. Um, but, you know, in terms of years and songs that I liked and eras, I mean, I still am not a huge Brent Midland fan, but I will I will listen to some 80s shows, early 80s shows. Um, but just growing to appreciate different things more. And I've always been like, if you pin me down and say, what's your favorite dead song? I'm probably going to say Dark Star <laughs> just because it's sort of it's just what I love, like a 69 mm-hmm. Dark Star or a 73 Dark Star. Um but what I found last year, and it was Jerry, and it was um, the Europe 72 tour, where for two shows, he plays pedal steel on Looks Like Rain. Hmm. And it's like... Oh, yeah, no, I remember that. That's great. We might have talked about this, but it just is like, that's one of the things I will go to when I'm in the car. <laughs> and it's like either driving to work or home from work, and I know it's going to be a bad day, or it has been a bad day, and I need you know, that's, it's just, you listen to it and it's like, why didn't they do this more? And then I'm, I always think it's like, nope, twice. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And it's, it's literally both versions of the song when they have on pedal steel are like, are just perfect. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the, the dead documentary that was on Amazon and that the last show, five twenty six seventy two in London with the morning dew that's on the album and the, the where the sound guy go, the guy oh, leaves the truck yeah. and goes and sits on the stage. Like I've talked yeah. about that with our good friend Bob Beatty quite a bit, and it's mm-hmm. like that 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 to me is sort of like you hear that story and it's like I totally get that. Yeah, we've all been there. We've all wanted to just be enveloped by that music, and the Dead is one of those few one of the few bands that I think can do that i mean there's a lot of music that can get you in your head and in your heart but the dead is like a full body it's a full body rap yeah yeah and uh obviously a huge influence on on widespread panic right i mean i think uh um certainly you know dave schools and and i think you know jb and mike both um were into that so they were i mean they were in by all accounts a a dead cover band when they started you Mm -hmm. know more than anything else. So, um, yeah. So, um, and I think it's, it's funny that you said the, uh, five, you brought up five, eight, Cause I think the anal, you could argue that the analog and panic world is the number one seed in our bracket. <laughs> I, think, I think you're probably right. Um, um in, in four, three Huntsville, um, you know, I th- uh, we're obviously Jerry's, the anniversary of Jerry's passing is 8-9, Mikey's is 8-10. So hopefully this comes out around those dates. I'm not going to pin you down, Harvey, on an official. I'll try to get it. I'll try to get it out. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, we currently have our poll up for the final the final two, the Natty. We've got 4-3-96 versus 10-28-2000. And somebody, you know, you sometimes you read a tweet and you're just like, it can't be said any better. And I believe it was by Brent Smith. Was that the, the gentleman's name who posted? Uh, I, I think, do you not have it in front of you? I would no, you. <laughs> no, I'm watching, uh, I'm watching, uh, I'm watching sprint car racing and talking about the grateful dead Harvey. This is what you don't, this is. Uh, you don't just have the bluest tape Twitter account. Uh, <clears throat> 
rolling oh. in front of you constantly. Up all the time. Um, I can bring it up right now. Look at yeah, that. No, it was uh, it was Brett Smith. Uh, he said, uh, "I was at both. No one knew four three was epic as it was happening. It was a random weeknight in the half round. The tapes pushed it into lore. Ten twenty eight two thousand was epic when it was happening, and everyone knew it." Yes. So, yeah, I mean, you could argue that, I mean, that's a spot-on tweet. Um, you could argue that the analog for 4396 is 5877, and then maybe for New Orleans 2000 is like 82772. Okay. Maybe. And I only say 2772 because of the specialness of the show. Right. Being the people kind of were expecting it to be something Yeah. Special. It's 100 degrees outside, out, you know, 100 degrees outdoors in Oregon, Ken Kesey's farm. Naked dude on a pole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there was, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it was 2000, but there was one. There was a moment in one of those panic runs where there was a a woman in the in the upper deck that was full on naked dancing, and the police had to go up and carry her out. <laughs> she was having a well. She was having a time. I don't know she if it was, was good or bad, time. but she was in it. And now she works in the Trump administration, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I, I will say this, and I'd be interested to hear. Maybe, maybe we should reach out to to Brett and get uh, get clarification. I'll also say his his little bio and Twitter says mayor, husband, father, COVID survivor. So, yeah, wow. Yeah. So he's big, a mayor. Big, that's I mean, that's what it says. That's the first thing listed. And so, yeah. So anyway. Um, I'd be interested to hear what Brett's uh, knowledge of the band was on 4396 because I feel like I would feel like it wasn't just a random night. You know, like I certainly knew 5797 was not a regular night. Sure. I mean, you could, you know, and it wasn't like it wasn't built up to be a special night. It was a random, I don't know what, what night of the week it was. Was it a Wednesday? Probably it was, it was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday night. Because that's when they play all their best shows. And, um, <laughs> that's right. You know, and we weren't expecting anything. And it was like, as it was happening, you're just like, holy shit, is this continuing? Or, you know, they're continuing to take it up another level. And um, and I sort of felt a similar way in Johnson City 96, which is about a week before the Von mm -hmm. Brown show. And and being at that show, I was like, golly, they're really like, you know what I mean? They're, they're tightening the screws on this show. Um, so... I mean, I, I, I hear where he's coming from, and I definitely can see where, like, it's like Von, Von Brown takes more when you look at it on paper and you listen to it with a, you know, a very specific ear, and it's got that, you know, amazing multi-track, and, you know, it just, you can pick out every little perfect nuance where that Halloween show was just freaking nuts from the start, you know, mm -hmm. and you knew it going in, or you didn't know it, you felt like there was a chance that it would be um, because the night before was so, you know, stellar. And you're like, are they going to take it up a notch or maybe the you know second night's going to like kind of dial it back a little bit. And then mm -hmm. I feel like it was like when they dropped into to lawyers, you're like, okay, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> this is a thing now. Well, I mean, we've, although they lost in the second, a lot they, it, it is the show they or it are we it's, it's an it, I think. It's an it. although it lost in the second round um 12 1 2000 carbondale was mm -hmm. the first set is good but there's nothing like that epic about it it's a great mm -hmm. genesis mm -hmm. um and obviously it's the second set 
with the the airplane, low spark, maggot, chili, the whole the whole smash. That's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's like even then, it was like the airplane, low spark, and then in drums, and it was like this is this is awesome. This is it's a great, great show. It's, it's a great, great show. show. And then it's time. like and then maggot coming out of drums, and then it then there is sort of like because again, by that time. I was pretty well ensconced in the bubble, the taper bubble and the people that I was with. So I was standing next to a bunch of people on the floor that like knew what was happening. So it's sort of like you get the like, oh, yeah, this is a thing right now. Mm -hmm. Now this is a thing. Whereas I think New Orleans, it was very much a collective. Everybody in the building knew it was a thing. So um, so but but then for some people, every show is a thing. Yeah, and that's great. And that's great. Um, they they get excited for dying, man. So uh, I think I sent you I sent you the update. When was that? At one thirty this afternoon. Yeah. Ten twenty eight two thousand was leading uh, on the Twitter poll. Uh, we don't get we get way more votes on Twitter than Facebook, so it's not like Facebook's going to move the needle. But but on on Twitter, uh, Hollow uh, New Orleans two thousand was up fifty one point seven to forty eight point three. And as we record this right now, uh, 70 votes later, it is Huntsville 51.4, New Orleans 48.6. Too, so close, it is, too close to call and too is, early yeah. to call. It is. Uh, so it flipped three percentage points there. So we still got, we, we've been doing like three days on the windows. I figured it's the finals. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let it ride. So we did a full week. So mm-hmm. plenty of opportunity uh, for everybody to get their, their vote in and, um, Please, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, retweet, share the whole thing. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, I've heard a lot of uh, it's not it's not fair to choose. You got to choose between your two kids and and all those, and and I get it. But you know, I mean, who's going to do it if it's not us? Like, who's going to have the you know have the poll to choose the greatest panic show of all time? So that's right. Who that's who will? Yeah. Who will? Um, so should we uh, get to some music? For the people. Yeah. Do we have anything? Oh, well, let's talk a little bit about the. Uh, oh yeah, we gotta talk about the uh, the the Sunday shows. The shows, yeah. So um, we've had the. I guess it's been. What did they start this? I guess a little, uh, maybe four or five weeks ago, where they started dig- digging deeper into the to the archives. So they've been doing this never miss a Sunday show since pretty much since the the lockdown, right? So probably like late March, early April, maybe when all the bands kind of got into it and they were doing um, mostly the newer stuff that they had been, you know, doing live streams of and webcasts. And they, they did the, uh, the panic in the street show. And then they did the Oak mountain 2000 show um, like the official releases. And then, but other than that, it had all been, um, you know, uh, panic 3.0 stuff. And, uh, so, but several weeks ago, they, they started digging into the archives and putting stuff out that we had never seen before. Uh, they did the, the Milwaukee 98 show, which uh, nobody knew existed. Um, and then they did the uh, Nashville 99 show with the Dirty Dozen, which I think there had been clips of on, on YouTube, but not the entire show. Um, and then last week they did the Tempe, Arizona show from fall of 94. Did you watch that? Oh my God. It was it was... So, oh my God. I, say, I couldn't even, I couldn't help myself. I, I tweeted the entire time because <laughs> there was just so much, so much to talk about. There was a lot there. There's a lot there. <laughs> I, just, I mean, first of all, the show, the show is really good. 
but I mean, I will. I okay. When I turned, I turned it on late. I didn't get to it at the start. But guess, I had two thoughts right away: one music related and one non-music related. Guess what each of those first thought, thoughts were: music related, non-music related. Um. Okay, music related. I'm gonna say. Uh, <clears throat> think about the year. I'll just say, think about the year. Yeah, I'm gonna say maybe something about JoJo being a little more engaged. <laughs> uh, yes, I was there. Um, the first thing I, I was like, agree with that, but that wasn't it. No, it basically was like Jesus. It just sounds like a crappy '94 soundboard. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> but then I, the other I, one, I it sounded better than that, though. I it, really it did. It still had that little bit of echo in there that yeah but it quite as tinny i felt like those 94 soundboards are often pretty tinny and thin it felt a little thicker <clears throat> and so the non-music one was obviously fashion related and uh, a lot of a lot of flannel there's a lot of flannel <laughs> yards and yards of flannel i you know on the stage and in the crowd man I mean, I I showed it to uh, I showed it to to Jen, and I was like, if he, I mean, we didn't know each other in the nineties, but if he wanted to know what I dressed like, this is it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I wasn't wearing my Grateful Dead tie dyes, I was wearing yards of flannel mm-hmm. over baggy pants. Yeah. Um, but it was like, yeah, JB with giant flannel stocking cap. The towel around the neck was a nice choice. Yeah, um, goatee. Um, yeah. schools with like kind of a evil shaped goatee. Um, I showed, again, I showed Jen the clip and she even made a comment like, wait, the guitar player stood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and, like, happened. That was he, the thing. That happened. And it's, I still think he, when, after you've seen him sit, he's like, why did he ever stand? Right. <laughs> um, That's true. And Sonny with his, uh, hat and he just looks like, you know, he looks like yeah, the guy that yeah, pretty good pon- ponytail, you know, ponytail and like short sleeve over long sleeve. It's like he just looks like the guy that would work at a bike shop in your town, you know. Um, so I want to I want to share a little bit of because I was uh, so I was texting with uh, Ted Rockwell while we were watching that, which was awesome to get his input on those things. <laughs> and then and then I texted the next morning with Sam Holt and oh, I was cool. like. Um, what was, cause, cause Mikey was not, it was pre, you know, Telecaster, right. He was yeah. playing a, like a black guitar that was not, um, and, uh, so Sam said, I bet he was playing the, the Washburn that they made for him. Mm. He was trying it out around that time. Was it black? And I said, yeah, he said, yeah, that was it. One of the higher ups at Washburn loved panic. Mm. And, um, he's, <laughs> then he said, uh, they made some pretty shitty guitars but jb has a couple that were solid it's like <laughs> jb played washburns for forever didn't he well yeah and i was like i remember there was always the in the liner notes so it was muses. like uh, amuses or abuses or yeah. you know, or washburn guitars play john bill yeah. and um and so then i asked him because he played the other thing that i really dug about that show in 94 was that, that jb played that that flat body acoustic yeah. almost the whole night which i mm-hmm. loved i mean it was like it adds such an interesting texture to the sound and um he said that was not a washburn that was a gibson chet adkins he got that in 91 and uh, he said it's super super nice but he was always disappointed when he played it because he always wanted full-on electric all the time Hmm, nice that's what that was sam's opinion so um anyway 
uh, that was I thought that was some interesting little inside baseball on the guitars. What did you think of the show overall? Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought they were really, I mean, I, again, I think we've talked about this on the show that in a lot of ways, I felt like fall 94 was like a, I know we talk about like 95 being the year where they really started kind of going into the next gear, but I think you were starting to see it in fall of 94. And so I think you, you, there were some moments in that show where you could see they're really starting to stretch the legs out. They, they were still playing like the songs that the record label wanted them to play, but you know, they were definitely doing some stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. And then this week we've got a uh, 2002 show from Red Rocks. Uh, yes, it was uh, the Sunday show from that three night run in 2002. And so it was Mikey's second to last show. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. They went and played that one show left in Iowa, and then, um, and then that was it. He he left the left the tour. Um, the other thing about that '94 uh, show was uh, well, a couple things, but there was a double encore, and um, and I guess whoever was recording it uh, turned off the tape because, and that was something that uh, that Ted said was that. Um, it was uh, what a wonderful world. Yeah, they played a full "What a Wonderful World" after "Traveling Light," and then came out and did "Disco Proving Ground," um, which is awesome. Yes, and um, so that was just a that was kind of a bummer uh, that they couldn't play that and um, or didn't have that to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the other thing was cool seeing uh, Marty Lloyd out there. From the yes. Band. Um, I always liked Marty. I mean, he was the the. It was him and Wayne Healy and and Rob Bonacorsi, I guess, were sort of the three main guys in Freddie Jones Band. Oh, and um, but I, you know, I always kind of dug Marty's. You know, Marty was, I guess, maybe the more lead singer, and he played the acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked his vibe. I, I feel like Wayne probably guested with Panic more. I think I looked in. I think uh, Marty only played with him. It was either two or three times, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was, uh, you know, it was sort of a rarity to see him out there. And then, um, uh, and then I think Wayne Wayne played, I think, quite a bit because he played Rob, the electric. Yeah, and Rob plays slide on a bunch of stuff and lap yeah. steel on a couple of things. So, um, yeah, yeah. I uh, and then I went down the uh, Freddie Jones rabbit hole. Um, the first part of the week and listen to uh, the first record on the way on the way to work on Monday and then North Avenue wake up call on the way to work on Tuesday uh, marked difference between those two records uh, yeah. in terms of their production and just sound better the the first one or the the first studio record what's it called is it called take 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 the time take the time maybe I think. yeah anyway it just it's so thin it sounds so dated i mean i love those songs but it's mm. just it's just really it just really dates itself whereas north avenue definitely has some has some legs and i think a lot of those songs would still could would still work a little bit but they're great songwriters they had good harmonies you waiting know for the, waiting for the night is what waiting it's called. for the, take night. the time was the first song yes on that thank album. You. waiting for the night and uh yeah and i wonder too like um, I mean, I assume you're listening on Spotify or, yes, I would. you know, and I just wonder if like some of these more obscure records, if it's like they're, they're getting like a 128 K MP3, like that some of the thinness is just in the fact that they're not getting like a full quality, you know, source 
Mm-hmm. And um, whereas maybe, I don't know, but, but I guess if you're hearing a difference, you wouldn't think that the North Avenue wake up call would be that much better. Uh, yeah. And it they were Capricorn, uh, you know, label mates and yeah. um, toured, toured together quite a bit uh, in 94. And yeah. um, so then my, my other question about that show was, what, where do you think the source of the video was? I mean, it didn't appear to be, I mean, I was shocked at the quality-ish. I mean, it wasn't amazing, but like I was really expecting just like a single camera kind of, you know what I mean? And uh, the you know, it was pretty good. Like they were mixing it, you know, they, there weren't too many bad punches and like the, the cameras were moving around and you're getting different looks. It wasn't, and they didn't go to the, uh, you know, the God awful, like stuttery video effect too often. I mean, there was one time like around drums or, you know, in the jam section there, but um, yeah, I just wonder, cause I, you didn't see any like big screens, you know? And so I don't think it was that, so was it just like a crew in Phoenix that was like, let's know. go film this? Or I mean, because it it didn't look good enough to be like an official release type quality. You know what I mean? Like they weren't recording it for the for the plan to release it, but it definitely seemed better than just like, you know, some random dude. But maybe that's what so, it was. Uh, Hayden Square Amphitheater is still still there, I guess becomes up on the internets um you know tempe is where arizona state is i don't know maybe it was a maybe it was a college project for somebody i mean i i could see that and i could see where like somebody with like you know yeah like a college type that would reach out to the the band or the label and say hey can we tape this you know we'll give you a copy and uh, i agree the the actually the camera work was pretty good The, the 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 switching between like cameras and stuff got a little intense sometimes but yeah, a little busy but there was a but again really captured it well i mean again just like the little things that like stand out again the clothing was not a little thing it was just uh-huh. obvious but like jb drinking a beer on uh-huh. stage i think he did a shot at one point too I yeah think. like uh-huh. it just is i'm just so used to red cups you know yeah. uh-huh. um jojo being a little bit more engaged and just the keyboard setup wasn't where it is mm-hmm. now and wasn't where it was, you know, a couple of years after this show. Um, but also it's like sitting really low yeah. too, like not up, not up as high. Um, obviously Mikey standing, playing the black guitar. Um, and you, yeah, had, uh, you had a bunch of people know. standing behind the stage. Yeah. Too. yeah. Um, Gary but, was back there holding yeah. court and mm-hmm. uh, he did a great intro, which is cool to see. And um they did Blackout Blues, which at the time I think was the only JoJo song, right? I mean, he hadn't done any uh, anything else, so that was kind of cool. And um, so, and the other thing that struck me was how into it the the crowd was. Yeah, like, that was kind of surprising. Like everybody was dancing from the beginning, and you would think like Arizona in '94 wouldn't have necessarily been like a hot spot for mm-hmm. for Panic, but. Um, you know, they were, they were touring on that grand then. So maybe, you know, it had gotten some radio play. People were into it. Um, you know, maybe we give credit to Freddie Jones band for, for giving everybody, uh, getting everybody worked up. They, uh, they saw the music video for airplane and it changed their lives forever. Uh, yeah, I don't think <laughs> so. They were just like, man, this band's amazing. Yeah. Um, but no, it was good. And got red rocks. Oh, two. I'm excited for the Oak mountain 99. 
Yeah, that's what? a great. That's a sneaky great show. Is, yeah, yeah like... that show's pretty kick ass. That that two oh. night run is really strong. Which I always have fond memories of my aunt, my aunt Lori asking me and uh, some or fall of '99 or right around Christmas asking me about widespread panic and how can I see a band as that many times and she said I really want to hear it. I was like I may I'll make you a tape and I made her a tape and I put. Uh, some of nine twenty five ninety nine on it, and she gave me the tape back, and she said, "This sounds like doper music." Well, it is. <laughs> um, so it was. Uh, so it was nine twenty five. So well, this is interesting. So you have six thirty oh two, which has a uh, Jerry Joseph appearance, mm-hmm. as does nine twenty five ninety nine. So we get two straight weeks of Jerry. So uh-huh. it'll be interesting to see how everybody feels about that. Um, well, you know how I feel about it, Harvey. <laughs> I like because uh, I think Six Thirty's got a "Light Is Like Water," which is a great song. So that's cool mm-hmm. to see. And then, um, and then, what does the what's the Oak Mountain have? That was the second of the two. You get uh, "Proving Ground," "North Proving Ground," "Climb to Safety" with Jerry yeah, Joseph. That's, that's so pretty strong. Yeah, first North ever. So. Um, and I think I remember my buddy Brian went to those shows and somehow his story was like, he somehow ended up backstage and was sitting next to like a guy and his girlfriend or wife. And it ended up being, uh, Jeff Riley, I think is his name. The, uh, the co-writer of C Brown. Okay. And they played C Brown uh, during the show, the third song. So that was his little claim to fame from this run. <laughs> and then, um, but it, you know, not very often you get to sit next to a, a, a panic songwriter while his song gets played. Uh, and then the the week after is four nineteen oh two, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the first night of that uh, sp- short spring o two run. Um, at uh, Walnut Creek, and uh, it's kind of, I mean, I'm sure this show is really good. I, I'm a little bummed that it's not the next night, because that's got some really good stuff in it. The the Ride Me High Arlene in the first set uh, is really good, but um, I'm sure this that whole tour was fantastic, so I'm sure this will be good. Um, so that would be cool. And then what, was that it, or was there one more? Oh, 1231.01. Phillips Arena is the last one. So, and that's uh, Vic Chestnut, right? Yes. Did Vic do the first set of that? Mm -hmm. So, lots of things for people to complain about uh, this month with two Jerry Joseph and one Vic Chestnut appearances. But uh, I will enjoy all of them. And I will most likely be live tweeting from the Blues Tape Twitter account. Oh, good. I'll follow along. Um, Okay, so I think we did we touch everything? We talked about Jerry, we talked Garcia, we talked about the uh, voting update. Mm-hmm. We talked about the de- or the panic shows this month. Is that is that it? I think so. Okay. What uh what was the you were the curator this uh, this I say week. We're gonna have like two episodes in less than a week, Crazy, which is right? we normally do about one a month. So um uh, uh, tell us about the music tonight in honor of well i asked you what we should play and i said uh panic covers of dead songs and you're like a terrible fucking idea panic covers are boring it's like that's true so i did i chose two segments with uh longtime collaborators of jerry sitting in with panic so 
first segment is uh, actually the 21st anniversary of this show is tomorrow as we record this, uh, August 8th, 1999 from Buttermilk Mountain in the Aspen Harmony Festival in Colorado. And Bob Weir sits in on guitar, on along with Jay Lane and Rob Wasserman, on Me and the Devil Blues and Pusher Man. And never would have thought Bob Weir would have sat on a Curtis Mayfield song. Um, but it's... I love this version of me and the devil blues. It's great. Um, Bobby's really high up in the mix. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, one of the things I've grown to appreciate over the last however many years is Bob Weir is a kick-ass rhythm guitar player. He's just, he's one of the best. Um, Layer that on, right? Yeah. And it's like, he's so easy to give shit to because Uh especially like 80s Bobby with the ponytail (laughs) and the short shorts and just the pop collar. Yeah. Just like all of it actually. Um, but he's a great rhythm guitar player, incredible songwriter, and he does a really awesome job um, sitting in on these two songs. And the jam, I think we'll include the jam out of Pusher Man yeah. with uh, Wasserman, which is yeah. badass. Schools in Wasserman, and you get a little bit of a other one jam too. Yep. And then we're. And also, I didn't uh, I didn't realize this literally until today when I picked it up to listen to it that that was like a day before the fourth anniversary of Jerry's death. Like mm-hmm. I, I never struck me it just you know it just seemed like another day I, I guess it just never i mean i remember when that show happened and it just it, it never uh occurred to me that it was on the or right but you know right next to the anniversary of jerry stuff which is kind of cool yeah and then the second selection is i feel like we need some sort of music when i announce this from the george mcconnell era i mean fall 03 is just prime no, no, it's not. I believe actually. the next night, October 26, 2003, is the worst show on record. I believe you're on record as saying it is the worst panic show that you saw. Uh, I think that is probably a safe statement. Yeah. Um, so we're not playing Yard of Blonde Girls or anything like that tonight. We're actually playing Takeout, Picking Up the Pieces, and Porch Song with the great Vassar Clements on fiddle, who was... Jerry's bandmate in Olden in the Way, uh, bluegrass fiddle legend, played with Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys in the early 50s, played with Jim and Jesse, um, was doing a little reading about him before he came, and he had a really terrible drinking problem and was like, worked at the airport and did a bunch of like blue collar jobs for a long time, and then in the 70s got back into music, um, was on the uh, Bull the Circle Be Unbroken record with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Um, and then does Olden in the Way with Jerry and John Kahn, Peter Rowan, and Grisman in 73. And then 74, he's part of Dickie Betts's really incredible band um, for his American, American music show tour in fall of 74, um, where, I mean, there's they recorded several shows to make a live album. They never put the live album out. There's a couple really high-quality bootlegs. There's a, a radio show from Long Island, I think it's 114474 and then 121474 from the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco and it's like a 40 minute version of Elizabeth Reed with like Basser taking like a massive solo on it. Um, just awesome stuff. So he's kind of the guy that is uh the I guess inventor progenitor of uh hillbilly jazz. So a mm-hmm. lot of bluegrass 
country, but then a lot of um, swing, uh, swing jazz and kind of almost like a Django Reinhardt type feel to yeah. music that he was doing and stuff. So his solo records are great. His Obviously, his bluegrass chops are, you know, he's one of the best ever. But this is really cool stuff hearing, a, you know, a different fiddle player sit in with Panic and yeah. three pretty solid versions of the song. He takes a really awesome break on pieces. Um, it's a nice version yeah. of that song. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I always I really dig panic with with the fiddle, and um, so definitely don't turn it off. Don't get scared by the McConnell. Uh, and this is acoustic, right? And everybody yes. can, or pretty much everybody agrees that 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 McConnell acoustic is is palatable and, it's and good. sometimes really good. Yeah. Um, so this is this is from that, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. It was great. So good, good picks, Jeff. Thanks, was, Harvey. Yeah, you do okay every once in a while. Every once in a while. Um, all right, so I think that's it. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Um, check us out on the different social media platforms, uh, Facebook or Twitter, and um, or shoot us an email or, uh, yeah, however you'd like to get in touch. We appreciate the feedback. It's always, it's always good to hear um, what people think about the things that we're doing, so um all right well uh best to you and the family jeff as you guys are uh preparing for the school year is that what we're calling it this year yeah, i guess so. it's it's something something um, um yes we're preparing for a we're preparing for a virtual school yep and i know there are a lot of folks out there listening to this that are probably doing the same so uh best of luck everybody we'll get yeah. through it and um you know, I think about it this way, at least all of the kids are dealing with this. So this whole class will be, you know, we'll have to, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, just one group is getting in. This you whole know, class is going to have a massive dip in their, yeah. in their, in their yeah. college entrance exam score. That's right. And so then, yeah. So in some ways that'll be good for them. They yeah, have to that's right. Much. Um, all right. Well, uh, take care, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Guys, mind if we bring some friends up and have a old school jam session? Let's do a awesome. Body here.
Supremacy, ladies and gentlemen.